Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fearless, diabetes late night. Thank you for tuning in to our Wellness with a Wow podcast. Tonight we're talking about pre-diabetes, PCOS, and regaining, regaining your power with musical inspiration from Angie Stone. Pre-diabetes means you have blood glucose levels that are higher than normal, but not high enough to be qualified as diabetes. If you have pre-diabetes, you're uh, more likely to develop type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and stroke, which is why you, you want to look for the warning signs early and talk to your doctor. PCOS, other known as polycystic ovarian syndrome, is a condition that causes an imbalance of female sex hormones. As a result, women with PCOS often don't have menstrual periods or have periods on occasion because the eggs are not released, most of them have trouble getting pregnant. It's the number one cause of female infertility, and PCOS also causes insulin resistance, the hallmark of type 2 diabetes. Regaining your power with these diagnoses comes down to not falling into the victim trap. The best way to regain your power is to own it and be part of the solution. That's not always easy, but it's essential if you want to feel better. And how about managing your diabetes for over 40 years? What was it like to manage your diabetes in the 80s to present? We're going to find out how you could master diabetes in the digital age by looking back at what was happening four decades ago during the Dynasty era. All that's coming up, plus our diva inspiration, Angie Stone. Well, she fought to regain her power when she was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. She told BET.com, I'm always on the go, and I thought I'd be too busy to ve- develop something like this. Well, what that Grammy Award-winning singer didn't realize was that she was a perfect candidate for type 2 diabetes. She had a family history of diabetes, and she was fighting weight issues, she said. I came to accept my diabetes when I realized just how many people around me, even in my own family, were living with diabetes, said Angie Stone. It gave me back a lot of courage to see all these people just like me going places, involved in normal things, and I became determined to learn what I needed to to better manage my diabetes. Wow, we've all got all that and more inspiration from our guests tonight for you. My guests include poet Lorraine Brooks, the founder of PCOS Diva Amy Medlane, Dr. Beverly S. Adler, other known as Dr. Bev, 
Dr. Mandy Reese, Patricia Addy Gentle, and Mama Rosemarie. Throughout this podcast, we'll be featuring music from Angie Stone's Stone Hits, the very best of Angie Stone, courtesy of Sony Music. Hey, maybe you want to call in and ask a question. Wouldn't that be great? We'd love to hear you uh, share your story or just make a comment. You can call our studio line right now at 347-215-8551. Please take a minute to donate to DivaBedic at divabedic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. All right, it's time to get back to the music. Here's the first single off of Angie Stone's debut album, Black Diamond, which contains a sample of Gladys Knight and the Pips, Neither One of Us Wants to Be the First to Say Goodbye, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Get a daily dose of Diva inspiration on Diva Bedek's Facebook page. Learn what's trending in the diabetes community, such as the American Diabetes Association Stand Up for Affordable Insulin Petition. Do you think the cost of insulin is increasing at an alarming rate? You're probably not alone, but now's the time to do something about it. More than 300,000 people have already joined the American Diabetes Association in calling for action. Add your name to the petition today and visit insulin, uh, makeinsulinaffordable.org. Now let's meet my first guest. You know her as a poet, but she's actually going to be showing off her artistic skills at the upcoming Vandross Festival with her beautiful rendering of Luther Vandross, which we will be auctioning off to benefit Divabetic. Uh, please welcome back to the show, poet Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm good. How are you tonight? I'm well, thank you. Well, tell everyone a little bit about your artwork, because I had the pleasure of coming to your art show last year. And, you know, on this podcast, we always uh, spotlight your poetry, but it's fun to let people know your other talents. Um, well, I've been, um, I've been experimenting since I retired. I have some more time to do things. And um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you know this or anybody else knows this, but I did go to art school many, many, many moons ago. And I never really did anything with my artwork. So now that I'm retired, I thought, I have some time. I'm going to revisit some things that I used to do. And I started doing portraits. And I've always loved portraits. Even when I do photography, I love faces and I love portraits. So the show that you were at last year um, uh, was um, a show of some recent work that I did over the last uh, six or eight months or so, and it started out because uh, we there was a time, I think it was in 2016 or early 17, where we lost so many people um, so close together. We lost uh, David Bowie and Prince and Natalie Cole and David Fry and just so many people that I started out thinking, I, I want to do a series of all of the people that we lost in in that year. And so that's how it started, and it kind of just uh, it kind of just took off from there. So I was very gratified 
that uh, someone offered me the opportunity to put a show together, and, and that's what I did. And I was so happy to see you and Dr. Bev and so many other people come out and support me. It was wonderful. I know. I love it. And I, I love the rendering you did of Luther. I'm so uh, looking forward to sharing it with the Luther fans as well as a lot of the ladies from Divabetics. That would be great. Well, I, thank you. I hope that uh, I hope people like it and I hope that it's able to raise some funds for your very worthy cause. And uh, I did it because I know I won't be able to be there in person. So I wanted to make a contribution and um, I, 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 I hope that, that people like it and that it's uh, it's well received. We should tell everyone right now, you'll be joining us on Sunday, June 3rd, when we go back to Mosaic Central Farm Markets for our annual Diabetes Alert Dog Fashion Show, which I yes. can't wait. And on top of that, and getting ready for Fandross Festival, we, you and I and the rest of our cast have been squeezing in uh, rehearsals for our upcoming Diabetes Mystery Podcast in September. And this year, you know, the, all the intrigue, suspense, and pretty much ridiculousness takes place at the ballet where my character, Mr. Divabetic, once again finds himself mixed up in another murder mystery. However, the intriguing thing this year is uh, the central character, one of the central characters, we should say, is living with PCOS, and she can't accept her diagnosis. She's keeping it a secret, which in this uh play leads to some disastrous results. I just wanted to get your thoughts about the subject of acceptance and just the difficulty I know a lot of our last listeners have with it. You know, in the beginning, um, when I was first diagnosed, which was about 35 years ago, um, I was very fortunate. I worked in a hospital pharmacy, and um, <clears throat> they they really uh, coached me and, and helped me and uh, they, they they encouraged me and supported me and, and made it, you know, they normalized it. They made it that it wasn't uh, a terrible thing and it wasn't that big a deal and taught me how to give myself injections and so forth. So that was a, that was a good thing for me. I, I, I was in the right place at the right time with the right people. But when I went out with my regular friends who, you know, who weren't part of that healthcare environment, it was hard for me to tell people at first because I felt uh, like I was different um but uh over the years i've realized that that that's not a good strategy i think you have to uh you, you have to tell people what's happening you have to tell people when you don't feel well you have to tell people um you know just just not to keep the secret there's nothing to be ashamed of and i'll just give you a quick story one day i was at work <coughs> getting ready to make a presentation <coughs> excuse me getting ready to make a speech and a presentation and i was in a group of people and I was having a little bit of a low. And I just happened to say to somebody who was standing next to me, gee, you know, I think I need to, to drink some orange juice or something. And about five people within a minute rushed up to me with, with orange juice and, you know, fruit and whatever they thought I needed. And I thought to myself, that that is so cool. You know, all I did was just say something. And so many people were ready and willing to help me. And I think that's the point. You know, you have to be honest with people because people will help you if you need help. And um, there's nothing, there's no reason not to do that. There's no reason to be scared or ashamed or, or anything else. It's just part of life. Right. And I, I think, you know, that is such a major theme in what we're doing this year with the mystery podcast. So you put pen to paper and uh, created a poem around this concept for our listeners tonight. Well, we were talking about, um, as you said, uh, keeping a secret. 
So the name of my poem for tonight is I've Got a Secret. We're only as sick as our secrets, it's true. There's dozens of things that I'm not telling you. Some of my secrets are not to be shared. Some are about being angry or scared. Some are just things I don't want you to know, but aren't that important as far as things go. Some are not secrets, but just information, like where I'll be going on my next vacation. Some things are personal, and this is okay, like who you just voted for or how much you weigh. But there are some times when a secret can hurt, and those times it's better if you can assert. Secrets can harm, because if no one's aware, you may not get help if you need something there. Take diabetes, and if no one knows, you might not be able to treat your own lows. Or maybe you're having a symptom or feeling that doctors can deal with if you're not concealing. Maybe just talking can help you with stuff that might that maybe you thought weren't important enough. Maybe disclosing your troubles and strife can one day be helpful in saving your life. So don't be afraid to be clear and be strong that you have diabetes, but there's nothing wrong. One day that honesty may just be the way you get help if you need it. So please don't downplay. Don't hold this secret. Don't hide this well. Make diabetes the secret you tell. I enjoy that poem so much, Lorraine. I can't wait to share it on our social media with everyone and um, let them read it as well. Great job on that. And and it's so much fun to do this mystery podcast because we do explore these kind of themes and put these strong messages into, I think, a fun and entertaining way. And you do that so brilliantly with this poetry every month for us, so we really appreciate it. Thank you, Rex, and thank you for the opportunity. It's always um, nice to, for me to explore my own feelings, too, so I, I appreciate all the opportunities you give us. And uh, I'm going to listen to the rest of the show with a great deal of interest. I'm, I'm really interested in your topic tonight. Well, we've got a lot of divas coming up. We have, we've got the PCOS yeah. diva coming, actually. But, you know, before we get to Amy Medlin, we should tell you that our diva inspiration, Angie Stone, does have a secret. Uh, I don't know how big a secret it is, but she was arrested in Georgia for assaulting her 30-year-old daughter last year. It was all over TV One's popular reality show, R&B Divas Atlanta. Uh, she was not convicted, but she was arrested for knocking her daughter's teeth out. Not all divas are nice ones, I guess. That's the story of that song. But I had to choose this song to play from the Angie Stone album because, Lorraine, I think you might appreciate it sometimes, and you mentioned this, sometimes with a diagnosis you get angry. So I thought this this next song kind of captured some of the feeling you might have around first being diagnosed with either PCOS or diabetes. Here's Angie Stone. Let's listen.
Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night, or I should say Divas Live. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. My next guest is a woman who's transformed thousands of women's lives and is the founder of PCOS Diva and the author of a new book, Healing PCOS, a 21-day plan, uh, plan for reclaiming your health and your life with polycystic ovarian syndrome. For those of you who aren't familiar with the term, PCOS is one of the most common endocrine disorders that affects about 10% of women with symptoms that range from weight gain, depression, acne, hair loss, and loss of uh, menstrual cycle, as well as many others. Please welcome to the show, Amy Medlin. Hi, Amy. Hi, it's nice to be here. Uh, how to play that song. I normally, Lorraine always accuses me for being too upbeat, so when I saw that Angie Stone had a song called So Pissed Off, I figured I better play it tonight. <laughs> uh, you and I have yeah. so much in common. I can't believe we've never met before, and I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about your book and about your organization and what you're doing to help women. And I just have to tell you that uh, before we get started, one of the big reasons I wanted you is because I don't know if you heard me mention that our Diabetes Mystery Podcast in September entitled Swan Wake happens to be during PCOS Awareness Month for a reason. One of our main characters has PCOS, and she's also a diva. So I thought you could help educate our divas tonight about PCOS. Yeah, and and, um, I love your mission. Um, I I can't believe I hadn't heard of you either, and I was reading up about what you're doing, and I think it's... It's so wonderful and really aligned with what I'm trying to do with PCOS Diva. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in um, the, the – is it a play that, that you're doing? It's a, it's a mystery podcast, yeah. It's a, it's a play oh, okay. that we perform live on our show, and then uh, people could listen oh, to it so afterwards. Neat. It's a lot of fun. But, you know, we both uh, gravitate towards this term Diva. Now, my former boss mm-hmm. – Luther Vandross used to use the term diva if you thought you were excellent at the job you were doing. So as you are <laughs> transforming lives, you'd be the diva of transformations. I would be, uh, I don't know what I'd be the diva of, but uh, Dr. Bev would be the diva of um, helping others deal with the emotional sides of diabetes. She's coming up later in the show. And obviously, Lorraine would be the diva of poetry as well as art. So to me, I always thought of a diva as like someone who takes charge, who loves themselves enough to take care of their health. And I feel like you're on the same wavelength. Yeah, but I'll I'll tell you the way that um, the name PCOS Diva came up was actually not not quite as empowering, um, but... It, we turned it in that to that way. Um, my husband was actually kind of making a comment because we were out um, ordering dinner one night, and once I started taking charge of my health, I became very particular about how I ordered my food at the restaurant. And my husband looked over at me and said, gosh, when have you become such a diva? And I was really kind of taken aback, but then I thought, you know what, yes, this is exactly what I need to do to advocate for myself in order to to make me a priority and my health a priority, and that's sort of where the the term PCOS diva um, came out of. But yeah, it's really about um, to stop being in a place of feeling like a victim and realizing that there really is no magic pill uh, for PCOS. That you are the magic pill, and there's so much within your control to make you feel better through lifestyle change. 
Well, our character, her name is Isabel, is because uh, I did a lot of research on this, and I wanted to see how much this parallels by using your own story, which I read about, again, in your book, Healing PCOS. Um, she's really struggling. I mean, she's a prima ballerina, and these uh, symptoms are very uh, physical. And so, you know, it has a little bit to do with vanity. So, uh, you know, the character is frustrated and doesn't want to share what's going on in her life for the obvious reasons. I mean, tell everyone a little bit about your story, because when I read it, I found a lot of the insight of the character in that. Yeah, I think um, PCOS can really sort of rob your sense of femininity, and that's definitely due to you know, some of these the array of symptoms. So first off, it's the leading cause of female infertility. So you know, women um, we're not getting menstrual cycles on a regular basis. We're not ovulating. Um, we're also dealing with elevated androgens often, which is male hormones. So the excess male hormones cause things like hair loss, where um, you know, it's sort of this diffuse male pattern, androgenic alopecia. And then we deal with hirsutism or hair growth where you don't really want it. So, you know, neck, chin, upper lip, um, chest, you know, you kind of get the picture. Um, and so it really kind of robs you of this, this sense of femininity and, and your vitality. You're often fatigued and suffer from um, anxiety and depression. So it, it's really my mission um, is for women with PCOS to be able to reclaim that sense of femininity, your fertility, and your health and happiness. And it's, it, it was a process for me. Um, you know, I, I was at a point when I was in my early 30s where I felt way too young to feel so old and sick and tired of feeling sick and tired and um, really running up against um, the pharmaceuticals that my doctors were giving me were making me, me feel worse and not better and realizing that I had to take this into my own hands to, to figure out a plan for myself to um, you know, thrive with PCOS because there really is no cure, um, but there is this continuum of healing, and that's why I, I called my book Healing PCOS. And, what, I mean, you also describe in the book how one of your doctors told you this was all in your head and, and no one really understood mm. and I'm sure a lot of listeners mm -hmm. who haven't, uh, been so forward or taking charge of it are, are dealing, are, are thinking of that right now. So what was that moment that the light bulb went off and you decided to really kind of uh, sit down and take matters in your own hand? Was it when you and your husband decided to start a family or did it happen prior to that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I often say women need to really figure out what their big why is in order to make lifestyle change. And for me, my big why was being the mom for my two young boys that I needed to be. Um, I, was, I was so out of touch with how food was making me feel. Um, and I'm very, uh, at the time, I was very insulin resistant, and I was suffering from a lot of hypoglycemia, although I didn't know it. It wasn't until I finally started using a glucometer that I realized what food was doing to my body. But often after, uh, um, you know, a high-carb uh, lunch, I would just sort of go into a food coma on the sofa and, you know, need a nap. And yet I had this one-year-old and a three-year-old that needed their mother, and I just couldn't be there 
in the way that I wanted to for them. So that was really my turning point and my motivating factor to sort of take charge of my health. And I think that's so interesting because you mentioned also, and we'll be talking about this later, about uh, your experience with metformin. After, tell a little bit about that as well, because I'll be talking to Dr. Oh, Manny Reese later on about metformin. I, I was not one that could tolerate metformin, and metformin is used off-label to help women with PCOS with their um, insulin sensitivity. And um, I was prescribed, I was actually originally prescribed Actos, which, um, you know, is not what I found interesting because it's not really used um, anymore um, for PCOS. But, um, I, again, I was kind of taking what the doctors were telling me at face, at face value and not really doing a lot of investigation. And now we know Actos has, you know, a black label warning. But um, so I, I, then I went on to metformin in order to get pregnant with my second child because I was really suffering from some secondary infertility. And I just felt awful and, and lots of GI upset, and it would really come um, at times where it wasn't convenient. Like I remember going to my husband's company Christmas party and I spent the party in the bathroom and it was just really horrifying (laughs) thinking, how can you live your life this way? Um, But I was determined to get pregnant and stuck with it. um, But knowing that I would never go back on it um, in order to manage my PCOS. I know, this, I know women are really appreciating this. And so now you started, like, in 2005, you started blogging, and you put this whole plan that you did yourself into this book. I just want to go over some of the, the things in the uh, book because I was just so taken with, again, the similarity of what we both kind of preach. Because you say in the book some of the major points are, and I'll read through them all, and then we'll go through them individually. Plan mm-hmm. the menu, get moving, reduce stress, sleep, Find a creative outlet and indulge. And I I feel like that's something we kind of share with our divabetics every day as well. So, you know, for us, again, you're talking about PCOS, we're talking about diabetes, but plan the menu. I mean, we always talk about from a diabetes standpoint of don't leave the house without having some kind of preparation in, in hand for dealing with highs and lows or just dealing with the day. Too many people just run out of the house without anything and don't have an idea of what, how, how or why they'll get their next meal. Oh, absolutely. And, I, and I've worked with um, clients one-on-one for, for many years now, and I can really say that that's where things break down, is in the, the failing to plan and, and writing down a meal plan for the week, you know, based on what, what your weeknights look like and making sure, you know, I'm a big um, fan of um, packing leftovers for lunch and bringing them you know, into the office with you or just cooking a little extra so that you can have leftovers for lunch that just seems to work well for a lot of people. And then um, packing and stashing is what I call it, you know, just really making sure that you have um, friendly, I call it PCOS friendly snacks with you. And oftentimes it can be um, nuts and seeds and um, some low glycemic fruit, but really combining sort of the, the protein, fat, and carb type of snack um, but you're you're absolutely right. Failing to plan um, it, it really can cause your lifestyle to take a nosedive. And this is kind of tricky, though, Amy, because uh, you mentioned this in the book too. There's a weight gain associated with PCOS, so some of this sometimes 
uh, and this doesn't just apply to women. I mean, PCOS does, but this concept I'm going to talk about applies to men too. You want to get rid of that extra weight, so you kind of like uh, play this kind of vicious mind game with yourself, like you're going to start the diet today and not think about food because you want to lose whatever that is that you don't know why it suddenly woke up one day and you have some, some extra uh, there's more of you to love in certain parts of your body, we should say. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is kind of an issue for people to kind of really address food when they're not comfortable with their bodies. Yeah, and I really do believe that it comes down to um, mindset, and, and that's why the, the first really meaty chapter of the book is Thinking Like a Diva. And I really believe that you have to appro approach your diet um, from a place of self-love. And I know that I've spent years in, in this um, cycle, I call it diet deprivation and denial. <laughs> and um, I really encourage women to shift to, I call it the, the four ends, you know, eating from a place of nourishing yourself and nurturing yourself and trying new and nutritious foods. And I think that when you can, um, and I call it eating like a diva, um, if you can eat out like a diva from a place of self-love, that you love yourself enough to feed your, yourself healthy, nutrici nutritious food. And it, it's, it's from this place of, like, abundance rather than a place of lack, if that makes sense. Absolutely. All right, well, I want to skip down a few to finding a creative outlet. I completely mm. identify with this. I just want to know why you're, uh, pre you know, you're preaching to the choir right here. But I just, why did you choose find a creative outlet as part of the Healing PCOS 21-Day Plan? Well, you know, I started seeing a pattern in coaching women that those that were really suffering from the symptoms of PCOS had lost touch with their creative self and. Um, you know, it, it, as I thought about it, it really kind of made sense because if you think about, you know, your ovaries are sort of the point of creation, right? Um, and if your ovaries are suffering, you know, I, I, it made sense to me that you've lost sort of that in, um, touch with sort of the creative force. And so when I coach women, I really encourage them to think back to what they love to do as a child. And often that can give them sort of hints as to, you know, where they should focus their creative energy. It's kind of like when you're sort of um, in that state of flow where sort of time melts away and you're just loving what you're doing and you're in the moment and, and it, there's a real sense of joy and passion. Um, so, you know, whether it's painting or dancing or writing, um, you know, even things like scrapbooking or even adult coloring books, like if you don't know where to begin. But to try to get into that state of flow and create, there's something that is really kind of metaphysically healing about that kind of takes you out of that moment you're in right now with your health if you're so fixated on it and allows you to kind of like take a little bit of a mini vacation. That's how I think about it. I agree. So, all right, yeah. I have two more questions for you. Mm -hmm. um, my character is a culinary wizard in his own head but not in reality, and so he's always aggressively trying to help people in the most ridiculous ways. But on this case, in the in Mr. Divabetic, wants to make gluten-free cheesecake for the PCOS diva. Now, you mentioned this in one of your videos about how you 
kind of um, experimented with gluten-free. I'm curious to know, I, I know that doesn't happen for everyone with PCOS, but did it help alleviate any of your symptoms? Oh, my goodness, absolutely. Yeah, for me, gluten is extremely inflammatory. And once I, I stopped eating gluten, um, my uh, the brain fog cleared. I got so much more energy, and um, I think it really helped alleviate the hair loss, too. Um, and, you know, I'm still gluten-free to this day, and I, I just there's really no going back for me. All right, you just shot a bullet to my heart. I'm completely bald, so maybe I should be going gluten-free. I don't know if I'll have uh-huh. to I'll, I'll, The hair comes out of other places now. It doesn't come on top of my hands. All right, now, finally, I know, and, and thank you for being a part of the show tonight. Um, I know for a lot of a lot of women and uh, taking on this plan, they might have mistakes. And, you know, like people, divas don't talk about their mistakes, but you – I feel have such a wonderful way of of talking about it in the book and embracing your mistakes and growing forward. I just want to end this with just giving someone inspiration who might feel like they nothing has been working, it's their fault, and how they could really put the joy back into their life, Amy. Uh, well, first of all, I have to say it is not your fault. It's not your fault that you have PCOS, um, but and there's so much hope and healing that can be pl- that can take place but you just have to take the first step and it's really those those small consistent steps taken slowly over time that create a healthy lifestyle and this is really the most important point that you're always one choice away whether it's a glass of water a walk around the block um you know the, the next healthy meal or snack from getting back on track so, you know, you're always just really one one choice away from getting back on track. I love that. Thank you. That is, You're the diva of quotes. I, I'm quoting you right now. I just wrote it on my post-it. All right, well, we're going to send you, um, after this, we'll send you a copy of our script so you could review it. And then for PCOS Awareness Month, our Swan Wake will debut, which is incredible. So thank you for being a part of the show. Tell everyone how they could get a copy of Healing PCOS, a 21-day plan for reclaiming your life and life and health and life with polycystic ovarian ovary syndrome. Wow, I'm scrambling. Uh, well, Amy, how, can they get a, well, how can they get a copy of this book? Well, let's, um, first off, I just thank you so much for having me, and I would love to promote your your production um, to my community. I think women would absolutely love it. And you can find Healing PCOS really anywhere books are sold. Um, it's available on Amazon, and you can read a free chapter at healingpcos.com. Fantastic. Thanks again for being on the show. All right, everybody, coming up, we're going to find out how do you manage your diabetes in the 1980s when Luther Vandross first released Never Too Much to today in the digital age. Are you feeling overwhelmed by everything available at your fingertips? Well, my next guest, certified diabetes educator, psychologist, Dr. Beverly Adler, is coming up. But first, it's time for more music. Our next song includes a sample of Joyce Sims' 1987 hit, Come Into My Life. If you don't know Joyce Sims, I have to tell you, she's from my hometown of Rochester, New York, and I believe that Joyce Sims and WDKX inspired me to get involved with music and work with Luther Vandross. So let's listen to this song.
Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic. And hey, did uh, Steel Magnolias terrify you, especially when you saw that scene in the beauty shop? Well, my next guest is a speaker and author, and she's been living with type 1 diabetes for four decades. She'll be appearing with me at our upcoming Fandross 80s Music and Fashion Brunch on Sunday, May 13th from 12 to 4 p.m. in New York City. Tickets are available at Eventbrite. She's known to everyone, and thankfully including me, to her patients and her friends as Dr. Bev. Please welcome Dr. Bev to the show. Hi, Dr. Bev. Good evening. How so are glad you, to have you on the show and looking forward to seeing you uh, Sunday. I am looking forward to the event as well. And I have to say that I think what you're doing is such tribute to Luther that he's looking down and he's just, um, I'm sorry, I get so emotional about this, but I, I think he would be more than pleased at what you've done with his legacy. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I hope so. I mean, um, he he changed my life, and uh, it's it's nice to um, and I'll to never keep forget the spirit alive. I, I I think what you do is wonderful. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll we'll have time <laughs> to talk to each other more on Sunday. But well, right now we we've got four decades to go through, Doctor Bob. So you were <laughs> what year were you diagnosed? Because you were diagnosed in the eighties, right? No, I was actually diagnosed in 1975. Okay, so all right, so there you were rolling through with five years under your belt of type one diabetes. Uh, let's let's get right to it. What? Because I know a lot of people today are feeling overwhelmed by some of these things available, and I just think you pro- provide so much comfort and support to people. You could help us kind of understand how to take what we have today, look at the past, and kind of move forward through it. So uh, talk a little bit about what was going on in the diabetes community back then in 1975 and the early 80s. There was no diabetes community. Okay, plain and simple. Of course, we didn't have the Internet back then, but there was no diabetes community. I was the only person that I knew who had diabetes, and um, the only source of information happened to be a book which my diabetes specialist had written, How to Live with Diabetes, and that was my Bible. And... um, not until 1999, when Nicole Johnson was crowned Miss America, was was diabetes even um, acknowledged? Uh, people became aware of it. It uh, the the that movie, Steel Magnolias. I think um, it, it was. Scary, yes, but that was actually how it was in the respect that we didn't have meters back then. And, um, you know, they were saying in the movie that um, Julia Roberts' character should not get pregnant. Not that she could not, but that she should not. And we don't have the backstory on her character. We don't know how long she was living with diabetes, and there were no meters. So how well were you actually able to control your diabetes? I didn't have a meter until 1987, okay, from 1975. 
and um, and for all we know, you know, I, I have no clue how my how my diabetes was actually managed. In those days, I took one shot a day of of NPH, and um, you know, when it when the doctors progressed a little bit prior to the meter, I was taking two shots of NPH a day, and. NPH, you had to be um, very strict in um, having eating on time because this had peaks, and uh, if you didn't time it right, then you could end up going low. But did you know it was coming on? I mean, when you see the the uh, beauty salon uh, scene with Julia Roberts, her her low comes on very quickly, but we don't know if she had had diabetes for how many years and if she was even had diabetes on awareness. I mean, all these questions, the backstory, it was not about that. So, um, well, I know it. I know it's actually based on a, a real woman from New Orleans. Her brother wrote. Uh, the story, but I think what's so interesting about that scene specifically kind of relates to Lorraine's poem earlier, and I got a secret, because in that scene, and I've done outreach around this movie, I think Patricia helped me out with it, um, in that scene specifically, she doesn't keep a secret. Everyone knows she has diabetes, and they all go into action to help her. I mean, starting yeah. with her yeah. mother, but then the mother tells um, Shirley MacLaine and Olympia Dukakis and um, even the Dolly woman Parton. who was Flash, uh, Daryl Hannah, what to do. And specifically, she says, drink your juice, Shelby, which is different than A, handing her a candy bar, B, handing her uh, cookies. Why, why, you know, and like you said, it's so dramatic, but there are some really strong takeaway points from that. Uh, first, starting with the fact that you said she doesn't have a meter. So there was really no way for her outside of a urine test to figure out what her number was or what it could be. And then two, um, why why did she treat it with orange juice? Well, orange juice is a, a fast-acting source of carbohydrate. If you remember in the movie, she is very um, belligerent, and she actually does not want to drink the juice. She swipes it out of her mother's hand, Sally Field. And some people with diabetes who do go so low, okay, so this is a low to the point where you need assistance, become very belligerent, and they make it even harder. So I'll share with you, now I had a meter, when I was pregnant, okay, this is uh, Julie Roberts' character was not pregnant at that time, but when I was pregnant, um, I did have a meter. I was out to dinner, and um, before we had ordered the meal, I checked my blood sugar. I did not feel this at all, but I was able to manage myself. My blood sugar in that restaurant was 23 which is pretty amazing that I was even conscious and even able. And, uh, you know, um, uh, the the story is, you know, I, I asked my husband for some orange juice. And uh, 
he did not really understand the urgency of my request, and he said, yes, yes, as soon as the waiter comes over, we'll ask. And I was like, no, 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 I need it right now. <laughs> and uh, it, it uh, you know, it took him, it took him a while till he, uh, but I was quite, uh, <laughs> quite um, assertive about how urgently I needed that juice. I was not like Julia Roberts' character. I did not. Uh, I was not belligerent, and I did not need assistance. Well, that's not everyone's fault either. I mean, at that point, you're just kind of in another. You have a brain fog. I mean, there's so much going on with you physically that, you know, a lot of people take that to heart. But the truth is, anyone who's had a severe low is it can't really be held accountable or responsible for what they may say or do because they they really need help at that moment. Right, but that was not my case. I was quite yeah, coherent, sorry. and I I was uh, I was quite aware. I, it was it, it's it's the lowest, thank God, that I've ever ever been. And um, uh, so the concern. I love the way you're talking about it, though, Doctor Bev, because a lot of people out there say it's their fault. And I the fact that you're sharing that, and you're a certified diabetes educator, you've been living with diabetes for 40 years, and you're not ashamed to talk about it, I think sends a huge message. To everyone, which is advances us forty years, and kind of uh, what you your passion is, because that wasn't around either. Talking about the emotional side of living with diabetes, so just the fact that you just owned it and shared with us, I hope is sending a message to our listeners. I hope so too. Uh, uh, over the the course of these decades, it's it's such a better um, uh, situation that. Um, there is a diabetes community. There are resources for um, dealing with the emotional issues. You know, uh, you know, podcasts like yours and your website. You know, these things are are wonderful resources that were absolutely not available whatsoever in my in my early days. And you know, along the way, there have been other changes as well. So the diabetes regimen itself changed. So once I started having the meter, um, th- it was no longer two shots a day. We had now the basal bolus, okay, which is um, what we have today, which is uh, a basal. This is for type 1s, but there are a lot of type 2s as well who end up due to no fault of their own, due to the progression of the pancreas and its um, inability to continue to, um, uh, you know, metabolize the insulin due to the insulin resistance, we do basal bolus. So basal is the lantus or levomere, and that carries you through the day, and then the bolus is for when somebody has a meal. That could be Humalog, that could be Novolog, that could be a Pedra. And um, so at minimum, I have uh, four shots a day. So I will have my, my long-acting plus my three meals which with my fast-acting. And people when they heard that I had gone from originally in 1975 one shot a day to this new regimen, quote-unquote new, that was in the 1980s, um, of four shots a day, people 
gave me such a sad look and so much sympathy and said, oh, your diabetes is getting worse. And I was like, no, 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 not at all. You know, now the, the insulin can more closely approximate what the pancreas would do. So that was an improvement. But again, most people did not understand if they were not living in that situation. And I did a lot of informal diabetes education. You know, eventually I I actually became formal and I got myself certified as a diabetes educator. But um, it's it's actually been something I've done since 1975. I've it's, I've always been there educating people. And then you're an incredible inspiration. I, I'm so looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. I want to um, end by talking a little bit about this other part of advocacy, about talking about the emotional issues, because a lot of people who were listening to Luther in the 80s, uh, you know, now find themselves at an, at an older age, and they're confronted with a digital age. And sometimes when you have all this self-care available at your fingertips, you could get overwhelmed and and shut down or burned out. So I just would like to end with getting some of your thoughts and suggestions around that because I do get messages about this all the time from our listeners. Okay. Well, I'm going to say if somebody is overwhelmed, they uh, should actually seek out a diabetes educator um, to to help them, that's what a diabetes educator does. You know, we can teach about the technology. It's not um, nobody. Sh- I feel nobody should be pushed into um, using the technology if they really aren't comfortable. And I say that coming from the the fact that I never switched to using the diabetes the um, insulin pump. I I have always continued with my multiple daily injections. Uh, in my particular case, my endocrinologist told me that the improvement that I would get with an insulin pump would be negligible because I was doing such a good job managing with multiple daily injections. So, you know, for for somebody... Um, I'm going to say more of the dinosaurs. If they don't want to embrace it, I don't think that they should be forced to to do something uncomfortable. But um, there's lots of new technology that is on the horizon, and uh, I, you know, <laughs> we'll have to see what comes of it. So uh, some of the new uh, in development, we'll say is this uh for the for the di- for the blood sugar monitor instead of having to um you know poke yourself multiple times a day they have a new in development a needleless tattoo sensor they put a, this thing that looks like a tattoo it's not really it's a um it's a temp like a what they call a temporary tattoo and it measures glucose levels through sweat and there's other technology coming down the road um well they do already have the apple watch and um that has to do with the um continuous glucose monitor which is attached so that you again you don't have to keep 
um, testing, checking your blood sugar, and um, it, it has a way to relay it to um, and display the information on an Apple Watch. There's another um, device in um, development that's implantable. It's wireless. It's a continuous glucose monitor, and it's the size of a quarter of a grain of rice. <laughs> it's, I've seen the picture of it. It's, it's incredibly tiny, and they're saying that this sensor could last for months and would cost about $1,000 a year. So there, there wow. is a lot of technology. I'm, I'm certainly interested in, in those, those options, but um, um, I, I have, a, a, um, let's see, I will call it a quote, okay? And it says, the more things change, the more they stay diabetes. So in 1988, here's a quote from a doctor, and it says, you can have type 1 diabetes, you have type 1 diabetes, but you're lucky. The cure is just five years away. I have heard this for, for, for all four decades, okay, that the cure is just five years away. And they say, here it is, it thinks the more they change, the more they stay the same. 2018, they say, you have type 1 diabetes, but you're lucky. The artificial pancreas is just five years away. So who knows how long that will actually be? But um, it, it well, seems somewhat. Thank goodness you're up. around to help people and and help and guide them <laughs> through that because I think a lot of it, you know, comes back from that emotional side. And you'll be joining me on Sunday. We'll be talking more about that and taking questions from our audience at the Fandross Brunch. So, uh, and you'll also be raffling off two of your wonderful books uh, about living with diabetes from a men's perspective as well as the. Uh, Yes, my women who living with diabetes, so that will be wonderful. My sweet life, successful women with diabetes, of which I am included in the chapter, and of which Lorraine Brooks is included in the chapters, and then I have the the men's uh, counterpart, my sweet life, successful men with diabetes, and there there are twenty plus chapters in each book, and uh, they're all sorts of uh, type 1s and type 2s, younger, older, uh, across the, the uh, country, and all of their really um, inspiring stories of how they've managed to cope with their diabetes. Nobody is particularly happy initially to be diagnosed, but they all come to a point um, somewhere in living with diabetes that they can accept it and embrace it, and actually see it as a blessing in disguise. That's a great way to end this segment. So thank you so much, Dr. Bev, for being on the show, and we'll see you Sunday. Thank you for inviting me tonight, and I look forward to seeing you Sunday, and I hope some of your listeners will be there as well. Yes, me too. All right, our May Diva inspiration, Angie Stone, is a diabetes advocate who urges people at risk affected by and living with diabetes to get educated by telling them that there's nothing wrong with taking your taking care of your health and being a better you. You. Here's a sample of one of her songs, Bottles and Cans, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. I'd rather be picking up Be patient. 
Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. More than 84 million U.S. adults have prediabetes, a condition that, if it's not treated, often leads to type 2 diabetes within five years, according to a new report released by the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. Here to talk more about prediabetes is our very own Patricia Addy Gentle. Hi, Patricia. I'm good. Those statistics are are pretty alarming, uh, and I I'm wondering uh, if you could just explain more about prediabetes, since it seems to be uh, confused with a term called borderline diabetes or vice versa. Yeah. Well, Max, prediabetes is um, a condition where the blood glucose levels are higher than what we consider to be normal but not quite as high as what we would call um, a person who actually has diabetes. And so the fasting blood sugar level for prediabetes is between 100 and 125, but when it crosses over to diabetes, the fasting sugar would be 126. So there has to be a cutoff somewhere, and, and those are the parameters that have been set through the research and various studies uh, to see where what levels are causing the um, side effects or adverse conditions. Okay, and is it reversible? I don't like to use that term, but I see a lot of people say prediabetes is reversible. Well, prediabetes is now being recognized as something that is reversible. However, it increases the person's risk to develop diabetes. So once a person has a diagnosis of prediabetes, and we try to eliminate that uh, term borderline diabetes from our vocabularies. Those of us in the diabetes industry would never be caught saying that a person is borderline, but if you have prediabetes, of course, you're at a higher risk to develop diabetes. And uh, precaution, it's time to start uh, changing lifestyles and behaviors so that diabetes is not uh, something that you will develop, but you are at a higher risk if lifestyle is not changed. I just, I, I want to say honestly that I know some people living with prediabetes and they seem to have less information after the diagnosis than they did before the diagnosis. So, I mean, it, do you feel this term is in any way impacting people about how to manage their health? Yes, I really do think it's, it has a tremendous impact, but it depends on how it's delivered, and it depends on, on the um, physician or practitioner or whomever is providing the information, and, of course, education is needed. So lots of times there are physicians or, or whoever is in health care who has given that diagnosis, and they go no further. Um, you know, sometimes they'll say just just change things up and and stop eating this or stop eating that and you'll be okay. But there, the education is not provided, and the person leaves not even knowing what prediabetes is or, or what impact those high blood sugars are causing in their vessels and in, throughout their systems. So it really truly depends on how that message is delivered. 
All right, but I, I mean, I just want to get back to this again. So do you think you should look at it, someone listening tonight, should they be looking at it as a yellow light, a red light? How would you, what would you advise someone who has pre-diabetes maybe walked out of the room like many of us do when we're given a diagnosis, we stop listening so we don't hear the important information being shared after that? What would you say to someone right now who might be confused about that diagnosis? I would say that they should probably seek the um seek education from a certified diabetes educator because I can see that diagnosis as being green, yellow, and red. It's a green light in the sense that okay, I can forge forward and do better, change lifestyle, and have a real healthy life. My future will be better than what I have been in the past because I'm, I'm, you know, the green light has given me the go-ahead for improvement. The yellow light is the caution. You know, I can't continue doing the things that I have done previously. I have to take caution and change some of the things that I've been doing. Um, there's more exercise or activity is indicated. I'm changing the way that I'm eating, and I'm very cautious not eating without a plan, but I'm eating and including the things that are healthy for me, and I am, um, I won't say eliminating, but I am cautious about how often, how frequently, and serving sizes of things that might not be quite as healthy. And then there's a red light that this has to stop right now, I don't want to cross that line to go over into diabetes. So this is the the uh, light that has caused me to change and to put a stop, put the brakes on, and reinvent and create a newer, better me. Awesome, Patricia. I, and I want you to stick around because the next part of this conversation involves a pharmacist because we'll be talking about what many people with prediabetes find at the end of their doctor's visit, which is a prescription for metformin, which you heard our first guest talk a little bit about with PCOS. But we're going to take another break and listen to more great music from Angie Stone, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. I bet you realize this time that when you see my friends sitting outside, they were better help me pack my bags and Tell me, don't listen to you if you beg me. Cause they know I'm coming straight back home to you. And they know I'm a cop that's fool for you. So I'm putting my things on you, haul And I'm blocking out your number when you call. No conversation, you can keep your word. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. My next guest has a diverse background in in the pharmacy arena. She's held positions in community pharmacy, state pharmacy associations, public health, primary care, and diabetes education. She's going to talk to us a little bit about the pros and cons of metformin. Please welcome to the show Dr. Mandy Reese. Hi, Dr. Mandy. Hi. Good. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And um, just a little bit of background about myself is I actually previously had uh, pre-diabetes myself and actually took metformin. So um, 
I'm glad to say that I was able to get my A1C down um, to below 5.7, and I'm actually no longer taking metformin, um, but just managing things through diet. So um, metformin is actually a great drug, it's, and one of the key things about it is it's been around for a long time. It's a very safe drug. There's not a lot of side effects. Um, and one of the pros about it, another pro I should say about it, is how it works. So it actually works to sensitize the cells in the body to insulin. So basically the cells take up the glucose. And by making the cells more sensitive to the insulin, you decrease the amount of insulin that's present in the body. So the body, there's not as much sitting out there on the use of insulin. But it also stops the liver from making too much glucose. Um, so it really attacks the sort of the blood sugar to keep the blood sugar healthy from a couple of different ways. Um, in terms of the cons, um, one con is um, if somebody takes metformin for more than a year, they could possibly have a decrease in vitamin B12 absorption um, in their intestines. So we do recommend to get the vitamin B12 level checked if somebody has been taking um, metformin for more than a year. Um, in terms of side effects, it's a you know very tolerable drug. The main side effect that folks have is diarrhea. Some other side effects is some metallic taste in the mouth, some um, cramping or some pain in the abdominal area. But all of those side effects can actually be prevented by starting on a low dose of metformin, which is around 500 milligrams, once daily, and then slowly increasing the dose. So how do they do that? I mean, it's a, I mean, because a lot of people, I know people who have experienced the adverse side effects, including our first guest, uh, Amy Medline, who was who was living with PCOS. They get, gave her metformin as well, and she said she spent. Uh, her husband's holiday party in the bathroom. So, I mean, again, this is about being a diabetes advocate, right? You have to go back to your doctor and tell them sure. what you're experiencing and, and, and to lower the dosage. Or do I go to my pharmacist and say, I don't like taking this drug. It's just not working for me. Well, I would say there's a couple of things. I would um, encourage people to go to their um, pharmacist and um, talk to their pharmacist a couple of things. One is the diarrhea usually does go away, but um, two things. One is getting a probiotic such as Phillips Colon Health or Align, one of those types of products, and taking those. Those can actually decrease the diarrhea with metformin as well as getting an extended release um, tablet also decreases the um, diarrhea. And what about, um, this is great advice, but what about the idea that um, how it interacts with other drugs? Like that's sometimes not the only drug you're taking. Uh, how do they know which drug could be causing a problem? I mean, have you, is there any common things where this drug does not work well with some of the other drugs someone with diabetes might be taking? No, actually, that's the interesting thing about metformin is it does really does not have a lot of drug interactions, and it can be used for most other, all other medications that are used for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, and there's not typically really um, drug interactions 
which is another reason why it's um, so good. And then also like heart medications and things like that because people have other chronic diseases, usually with type 2 diabetes. Um, so it's actually safe to use with those medications as well. All right, and so I was on. I was Googling metformin on the, the Internet, which most of us do, and uh, yes. we should just tell everyone again, you're a certified diabetes educator, you're also a pharmacist. Can it yes. cause cancer, or can I get cancer from metformin? This is something that's a big thing in, when you Google metformin. It comes up immediately. Yeah, you cannot get um, – there has not been a trial that has shown cause and effect with metformin and cancer. So there's not a risk of long-term and development of cancer by taking metformin. And, and going then, back, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was going to say, I actually had somebody come in clinic the other week and was talking about how they had heard a family member told them that metformin was going to harm their kidneys and you know, I reassured them that it certainly was not going to harm their kidneys and cause their kidneys to not work. But there is a certain point for somebody that has chronic kidney disease and it's advanced disease when you certainly shouldn't use metformin, but it's not going to cause kidney disease. Well, the warnings on it are alcohol use warning, kidney problem warning, and liver problem warning. Yeah, so um, if somebody has... Um, you know, cirrhosis of the liver or any type of hepatitis, something of that nature, which is the diseases of the liver, I would say certainly metformin is probably not the best choice. In terms of kidney disease, as long as someone's um, kidney function is good, it's fine to take it. There's a lab value called, it's a GFR, glomerular filtration rate. And as long as that's above 30, it's fine to take metformin. As it's completely fine to take it. Now I want to go back to your own personal story because I think it's so um, important to talk about how this changed for you because a lot of people would get metformin and I think they would feel defeated about their whole diagnosis. You took metformin and actually got off of it. So what would you say to people listening who are in your shoes right now? Pre-diabetes just got handed a, uh, just been told they have the diagnosis and were handed a prescription. Um, for for me, my story and I can think back to this clearly is when I was given that prescription for metformin. Um, I looked at it as it was a tool to help me along the way. Um, so it actually helped me um, in terms of it helped lower my blood sugar. It decreased my appetite a little bit. But I used it as a tool, and I viewed it as a short-term tool for myself and thought in terms of, okay, I've been given this tool. I want to make really good use of it. But I also want to look at what what choices or what changes can I make in my food choices? Can I increase my physical activity? And I sort of tackled it from that way. So seeing it as a tool and a resource and really looking at, okay, what specific dietary changes and how can I increase my physical activity? And I took it one change at a time and realizing that, you know, prediabetes for me was a yellow light to say, hey, Mandy, slow down, think about how you're living your life, your food choices, your physical activity. And I looked at metformin as just a tool to help me um, in that process. I love it. Great words of inspiration. And you, you said to me you will be writing about this on your blog. So tell everyone about your blog. Yes. 
and how they could find out more about you. Sure. Oh, my goodness. Um, I have a blog. It's called Reese's Pieces in a Diabetes World, and it's www.reesespiecesinadiabetesworld.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, um, Reese's Pieces Die. And um, I do daily tweets um, about medications. And so check me out. Find me on um, Facebook, Twitter, and um, actually I have an upcoming um, blog that's coming out on prior authorizations and how to navigate that because that's a challenge sometimes with folks getting their medications. And then my next one after that is going to be on metformin. So I would love for you to check out my blog and my um, social media pages. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the show tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, and thanks for what you do for those living with diabetes. Thank you. Well, our May Divabetic Inspiration, Angie Stone, doesn't just isn't just living with diabetes. She also sings about it. On a recent song, Two Bad Habits, she sings, Can't get enough of your love, babe. Uh, you're like caffeine going through my bloodstream. I'm chugging like a fiend, my, uh, like nicotine. And if, uh, if I can't see you at all, I'm going through withdrawals. It's like I can't get enough of you, baby. You're like sweet brown sugar to a diabetic. Get me overdose and I'm going to need a paramedic. Okay, that was a lyric from that song. We're not playing that song tonight, everybody. We're going to play Bone to Pick with You from her greatest hits album, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Heard you got a brand new crew Spending money like you rich Trying to keep up with your bitch Spend somewhere you lost your soul Cause you forgot the debt you owe Left me hanging out to dry But hold on Sunday is. It's the day we're doing our fashion brunch, but it's also Mother's Day. So let's welcome to the show my real-life mother and say an early happy Mother's Day to Mama Rosemary. Hi, Mom. Hi. Hi, Mary. Happy Mother's Day. Well, thank you very much. You gave me a nice surprise by coming to visit me last weekend. That was the best Mother's Day gift I could have, even though it was a week ahead of time. I certainly appreciated it. I wish to tell everyone you're not just a mother, you're a grandmother, and now you even have a new title to that name. You're a great-grandmother. <laughs> great-grandmother. <laughs> I know. I'm just enjoying it now. I, today is his 14th month anniversary or birthday, whatever you want to call it, month anniversary. Um, so I'm excited about that. It's been a wonderful 14 months being a great grandmother. I'm sure glad we don't. So, would you like to listen to my? Month. Yes. I'm sorry. Would you like to Would you like to listen to my tip for today? Absolutely. The month of May. Okay. It is to protect yourself from UV rays, and your eyes will thank you. Proclaimed prolonged exposure to ultraviolet light, which we call UV, increases your risk of developing cataracts. To reduce your exposure, wear a wide-brimmed hat whenever you're going outside and you're spending time outdoors. That hat will protect you. And always keep those sunglasses with the UVA 
UVB protection close at hand. And that's my tip for May. Happy Mother's Day to all our divas. Ciao for now. All right, well, stick around for one more second because we're bringing Patricia back on the line. The two of you were a part sure. of my very first uh, Divabetic Outreach event, Makeover Your Diabetes, in um, Fox Theater in Atlanta. I think it was in 2005. And I wanted oh, to go nice. to the Fox Theater because that's where Luther Vandross performed. And now I'm on the eve of Vandross Festival uh, celebrating Luther, and uh, it's such an amazing moment for me. But I just wanted to go back to that time because, um, and get your first thoughts about when we first began national outreach, starting with you, Patricia. Oh my goodness, Max, that was just an awesome occasion, and I am honored that you thought of me and that I was able to participate. But we have evolved into um, quite a story since that time. As a matter of fact, I was kind of aimlessly walking and trying to figure out exactly what it was that our goals were and what I was trying to accomplish. But, um, you know, throughout years of outreach, we have definitely come um, together and gotten a cohesive type of goal the goals that we do have in mind and the kinds of things that we are trying to spread awareness in, you know, with a new type of an attitude, a new brand. And I feel that things have really, really come a long way since that event at the Fox Theater. I love it. Mom, what are your thoughts about going back to the Fox Theater in Atlanta? Oh, I can't believe it was 2005. That's a long time ago. Yeah, oh, I'm, I just appreciated being part of that. And I was just like Patricia, very overwhelmed by it and wondering where we were going to go from there. But, oh, my gosh, we had so many um, incidents and trips and, and occasions to uh, celebrate Divabetics from then on for all these years. We have been so fortunate, and I do uh, honor you for continuing it and uh, helping so many divas and dudes uh, with your information and your education. Um, it's just been wonderful, and I'm, I have just been so pleased to be part of it. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been a great trip. Thank you. Well, and thank you both for helping me honor my uh, former boss, Luther Vandross's legacy all these years and pay tribute to him. I'll never forget when I took him to the emergency room after he had that stroke, the doctor came out and told me it could have been prevented. And when they went on the national news about my boss having a stroke, but they didn't relate it to diabetes, I thought that was a missed opportunity to let people know what they could do to keep their house at home. So as I venture into this new arena with Fandross Festival celebrating Luther, I, I take all those memories with me of all the work we've done to this point going forward. And um, next month we'll be celebrating our eighth anniversary of this podcast, which I can't believe, and I hope everyone tunes in uh, to that. It's going to be another exciting year for us here at uh, Diabetes Late Night and Divabetic. I want to thank all my guests tonight and let you know you can find out more about the Fandross Festival happening this coming weekend at our website, divabetic.org. Check out our e-newsletter, visit our Facebook page, and check out my videos on the YouTube channel. Now, remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. 
Let's get happy and stay healthy together. Here's one more song by Angie Stone that Billboard magazine felt conjures up that thumping R&B music of the 1980s. Well, you know what? I could never get too much of that music. Let's listen to I'm, I Wasn't Kidding by Angie Stone. Have a good night, everybody. I wasn't kidding until I met you. 